السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners we gather for the monthly spiritual gathering which coincidentally is also the occasion when we can complete the third and final part of the commentary of surah al-fajr whose second part i did last week and the first part we completed the week before and i say coincidentally because the final part of surah al-fajr speaks about the nafs the soul and its return to allah and the words are ya ayyuha an-nafs al-mutma'inna aw soul which is mutma'inna which is at peace which is settled tranquil and content irji'i ila rabbiki radiyatan mardiyah return to your lord radiyah pleased meaning you are pleased with allah and you are content with how allah has treated you with what allah has given you mardiya means pleased with i allah is pleased with you just as you are content with allah allah is content with you but that's as far as your relationship with allah is concerned you are pleased with him and he is pleased with you o soul but within yourself the words are Ya ayyuhan nafs al-mutma'innah aw soul which is tranquil settled and tranquil Now these final verses come at the end of this is why I said coincidentally we the focus of the spiritual monthly gathering is on the spirit is on the ruh it's on the inner dimension of Islam and this is a third and final part of the tafsir and this is how it ends so there is a coincidence and a correlation between these two topics but the question here is okay this is the third and final part of surah al-fajr what are the overall contents of surah al-fajr i'll just summarize in the beginning allah swears by it's an early makkan surah the 10th surah to be revealed in terms of uh, the order of revelation and in the beginning allah swears by a number of things the morning the even and odd numbers 
the ten nights, the night, and then Allah having sworn by these things, reiterates and repeats something which is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran, not in as many words, which is that, is there, it's a rhetorical question, is there an oath in this for one who possesses intelligence? Then Allah, having sworn by these things, speaks about the nations of the past, not all of them, but three nations. And again, just as a summary, refers to them. The people of Ad, the people of Thamud, and the people of Pharaoh. And how Allah destroyed them, because they had become corrupt and spread corruption in the land. And then Allah warns in the next verse that your Lord is watchful, he lies in wait. Then Allah speaks about man's unstable, fickle nature, his capricious nature, his fluctuating nature, how easily he becomes happy with Allah and enters into a state of exaltation. And then, just as easily how man drops into depths of despair and displeasure with Allah. And why does he do this? Why does he have this strange, fluctuating, love-hate relationship, even with his own Lord? Because man treats Allah, a human being treats Allah, and his or her relationship with Allah, just like we tr- uh, man or woman treats his or her relationship with another human being. We see Allah in the same way. So much so that in a way Allah has to be used, Allah has to be exploited. Allah has to be turned to only in need, only in help. And once Allah's usefulness has expired, We treat Allah just as we treat each other. We ignore Him. We turn away from Him. We pass by as though we never never ever called out to Allah. So why does man have... Allah describes this fluctuating love-hate relationship with... uh, Allah describes man's love-hate relationship with, with Allah. Why does man do that? What leads him? to behaving even with his Lord in that manner? And the simple answer is, his greed, his love of dunya, his view of himself. Because the verse doesn't just speak about man's love-hate relationship with Allah. It describes how when man enjoys favors and blessings and bounties, even momentarily, (laughs) man rises to the heights of elation and exaltation and joy and happiness. And then the moment man feels that he hasn't got what he wanted, he instantly sinks to the depths of despair. And in both instances, when he feels that he, has, he is enjoying himself, he gets what he wants, he is thankful to Allah, and he's, he's not thankful in terms of gratitude or shukr. Rather, he is thankful to Allah like a person is thankful to another human being, i.e., yes, he's my friend. So he says, Rabbi Akram and my Lord has honoured me. 
And the moment he feels that he hasn't got what he wanted, he doesn't just sink into depths of despair, but he actually blames this on Allah and says, Rabbi Ahanan, my Lord has disgraced me. So what leads him to behaving in this manner, quite simply, he sees his relationship with Allah in pure materialistic terms. If Allah gives him what he wants of the dunya, of the world, he is happy with Allah. And if Allah deprives him of what he wants of the world, he is displeased with Allah. And this is the key. So then Allah speaks about man's love of wealth, his greed, and how that leads him to misbehaving, to not feeding the poor and needy, not sharing with others in charity, not even encouraging one another to feed and give in charity, not even looking after the orphan who is in most dire need. And not only that, but this greed, this love of wealth and material possessions, because of which man destroys his relationship with Allah and mistreats Allah and has a love-hate relationship with him, this leads him to even devouring wealth unlawfully to such a degree that he hankers after the wealth of dead people. So someone's died. That person's death and departure doesn't soften this person's heart at all. Rather, no sooner has the soil of their grave dried, no sooner the body is still warm in a way, no sooner has the soil of the grave not even dried, than this person is busy contemplating his share of the inheritance. And in grabbing that share of inheritance, one fights with one's siblings, one's own loved ones, one's own family. This is what greed and the love of wealth does. And then Allah ends that section by saying, You love wealth passionately and excessively. This is the secret. That's where we, that's the second section. And then today we begin the third section. Let me read the verses, translate them, and then elaborate on them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kalla, the last verse which we covered in the previous session was, And you love wealth excessively, passionately. Allah then says, Kalla. Never. When the earth shall be crushed, a pounding, pounding, a crushing, crushing. Nay, when the earth shall be crushed, a crushing, crushing. And your Lord shall come. And the angels, row by row. On that day, and on that day, Jahannam shall be brought. 
On that day, man will take heed. But where for him is the admonition? He says, Would that I, if only I had, sent forth for my life? So on that day, no one shall punish the punishing of Allah. And no one shall bind like the binding of Allah. Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna, O soul, which is tranquil. Irji'i ila rabbike radiyatun mardiyya, return to your Lord. Tranquil. Pleased. Pleased with. Fadkhuli fi ibadi, wadkhuli jannati. Then enter amongst my servants and enter into my garden. Now, this is just a simple translation of these final verses. And before I begin to comment on these final verses, let me explain what I just alluded to earlier, which is that what's a connection between all of these verses? The surah, which begins with oaths, and then the destruction and the perishing of the people of Pharaoh, the people of Thamud, the people of Ad. And then the, verse, the, the, the verses speak, begin to speak about man's strange nature, his love of wealth. And then they end with the day of judgment and reckoning. And finally, the words that, O oh, soul which is tranquil, return to your Lord, pleased and pleased with, and enter into my, amongst my servants and enter into my garden. So what is the connection of this final section with the previous sections? This is the Holy Qur'an, and the words are not random. And there's a thread of connection between every single verse of the surah, and in fact throughout the Qur'an. And a very simple summary would be, that yes, Allah takes, Allah vows, Allah swears, takes an oath on various things. That's to emphasize the message, to arrest our attention, to attract us, to captivate us first of all, and to emphasize what Allah is about to say. So we listen with all ears. So what is the message? What is the complement of these oaths? What is the message of these oaths? The message is, have you not seen how Allah destroyed the earlier nations? Your Lord is watchful. Why did he destroy them? Because... They spread corruption in the land. They transgressed. Those who transgressed in the lands and then spread much corruption therein. Your Lord is watchful. <coughs> then Allah begins to speak about man. Why? Because yes, entire communities, entire nations perished because of their collective corruption and their collective transgression. But societies and communities and nations are but made up of individuals. 
If the individual is corrupt, the nation will be corrupt. If individuals are good and pure, then societies and communities and nations collectively will be good and pure. So the collective, distru- the collective transgression and the collective corruption of the nations was down to and because of individual corruption and individual transgression. And how did that individual transgression come about? Simply because of man's intemperate, immeasurable, insatiable love of wealth and his attachment to the dunya. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us. Allah then suddenly moves to the next section, which is Kalla, the one which we are about to begin today. When the earth shall be crushed, pounding by pounding, crushing by crushing. So Allah suddenly moves from You love wealth excessively, and immediately the next verse is Nay. So the very words Nay have a connection with the previous verse. Nay, when the earth shall be crushed, pounding by pounding. Allah then speaks of the day of reckoning. Allah's coming to judge between his creation. Jahannam being brought. So, what is the connection? It's very simple. The love of wealth, the attachment to the world, All of this suggests that we are so attached to the world, so devoted to wealth and material life, that we think we are immortal. We think this is the life on earth for eternity. This is our paradise or our hell. This is our life. This is our final abode. And we think nothing will come to an end. Because that's what wealth does. It blinds us to reality. It's wealth which, and materialism which makes us transgress, which makes us delirious, delusional, arrogant, rising above our station. It makes a man feel immortal. Allah says, never. And dramatically Allah then says, do you think the life of the world is everlasting? Do you think your own life is everlasting? Do you think you are immortal? Do you think the world and its beauty and its glitter and its contents will remain and will last, will be enduring? Never. Allah then says, this which you love so deeply, which you are so attached to, Allah will destroy it. Not just by casually removing it. Allah will pound and crush the earth. And on that day, your Lord shall come. And the angels row by row in order to judge between you. And on that occasion, the ungrateful soul who had failed in life will say, only then the person will realise. And they will come to their senses then. It will be too late. So Allah says they will realise, but their realisation won't benefit them in any way. And then man will say, if only, would that, I ha- would that I had, 
If only I had, alas, woe be unto me, if only I had sent forth lihayati for my life, I, then he will realize that that wasn't the life, this is the life. It'll be too late. Allah will punish. Finally, Allah speaks about the soul. This is in contrast to that soul. And Allah speaks about the tranquil, content soul. One that's pleased, and Allah is pleased with it. So we begin with the perishing of nations, and we end with the individual soul. What's the connection? Very simple. Nations are corrupt. Nations and societies and communities are but individuals. They are corrupt because of the individual transgression and the corruption of the person. And ultimately the individual is not who we think he or she is. The individual, the person, is not this bag of flesh and bones. It's not this body of blood and flesh. The individual is actually the soul that resides within If that soul is pure, the person is pure. If the person is pure and pious, they have an effect on those around them. And the others have an effect on them. And communities and societies and nations are also good and pure. But if the soul is corrupt, then the person is corrupt. If the individual is corrupt, Societies, communities and nations are corrupt. And when they are, what happened to those nations that were collectively transgressing and corrupt? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began the surah with the Alam Tara Kaifa Bi'ad. Have you not seen what your Lord did with the people of Ad? So let's be so there are, there's a thread running through the whole surah. It's very well connected. Every part of it is connected. So let's begin this section, the final section of today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nay, when the earth shall be crushed, pounding by pounding. Dak means to grind, to pound, to crush. And in Arabic, as well as in other languages, but you can see this quite evidently in Arabic. And this is for the benefit of the students of Arabic. Many words which have, which are very similar sounding letters, they are very close in meaning and at times even identical. So, duck with a small calf, as we would crudely call it, duck with a calf, and duck with a calf, more or less mean the same thing. Duck means to grind, to pound, to crush. Duck means to grind, pound and crush. Daqiq, we call flour. So, there are other verses as well in which Allah speaks about the earth and the heavens, the earth and the sky being ground and crushed. Now, this is just one verse. Throughout the Qur'an, especially in the Makkan Surahs, Allah speaks at length about the violent and dramatic and destructive end of the universe. The stars breaking up, the sun being wrapped up, the stars losing, losing their luster and light, 
The heavens being rolled up like a scroll is rolled up by a scribe. يَوْمَ نَطْبِ السَّمَاءَ كَطِيِّ السَّجِلِّ لِلْكُتُبِ كَمَا بَدَأْنَا أَوَّلَ خَلْقٍ نُعِيدُهُ وَعْدًا عَلَيْنَا إِنَّا كُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ On the day when we shall fold the sky like the scribes folding of the scroll. And most tellingly, Allah says, كَمَا بَدَأْنَا أَوَّلَ خَلْقٍ نُعِيدُهُ just as we began creation, we shall return it to its former state, i.e. to nothingness. Wa'dan alayna, it is a promise binding on us. Inna kunna fa'ileen, verily we will do it. So, even scientists, I'm not uh, proving one thing with the other, neither do I want to prove what. Uh, scientists are saying with the Quran or vice versa but it's just as a passing comment when scientists and physical uh, theoretical physicists and astronomers and cosmologists speak about the origin of the universe and the end of the universe how do they speak one of the theories is it began with a big bang and it will just as it exploded the end will come with an implosion and it's violent. The destruction of the stars, they're losing their light. Stars collapsing. We may live on earth, Allahu Akbar, we live on earth. It's serene, it's tranquil, it's beautiful, it's distracting. The blue oceans, the aqua oceans, the blue sky, the white clouds, greenery. Lush vegetation, tranquility and serenity in nature and in beauty. But this small ball of the earth is a mere speck in our universe, smaller than a speck. It's minuscule. And all around us there is violence and destruction. And amazingly, we have no evidence of life anywhere. And the argument given is, everything is perfect on earth. We have just the right amount of water, just the right amount of heat, just the right amount of energy. We have a protective belt around the earth that protects us from the sun's radiation, something which isn't a, a magnetic field, which isn't available anywhere else. Everything is just perfect. We are in the perfect zone of the solar system. We're in the perfect region for energy and heat and light and rays. Everything seems to be perfect. So conveniently coincidental. So even around us now, there is violence and destruction in the universe. And, Allah, and though when they speak about the origin of the universe and its end... Well, one of the theories is it began with an explosion and it will end with an implosion. Just as it began from a speck nothingness, it will return to nothingness. Just as we began, we shall return creation to it. It is a binding promise on us. We will do it. And in other verses, Allah speaks about the violent and destructive end of the 
of the of the world of the universe, the sky and heavens as we know it. إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ وَإِذَا النُّجُومُ كَدَرَتْ وَإِذَا الْجِبَالُ سُيِّرَتْ When the إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ When the sun shall be folded up. Again, as I was saying earlier, similar sounding words, كَفَرَا كَوَارَا Wow and fa are very similar. كَفَرَا كَوَارَا some of you, well, I'm not playing mental or verbal gymnastics. This is a fact. I've explained to you before how gafara means to conceal. And similar sounding words, wa in English as well, gafara, kavara, but it means to cover. Gawara means exactly the same thing. You've got gaf at the beginning, you've got ra at the end, and the only different letter in between is wa and fa, gafara and kawara. Gawara means to fold. I'm wearing an imam. This part here is known as gawr. And in books of fiqh, you'll probably have read, يَجُوزُ السُّجُودُ عَلَىٰ كَوْرِ imamatih. It's permissible to prostrate on the gawr of his imam, meaning on the fold of one's imam. It's permissible to prostrate on the fold of one's imam. When a person folds something, what does he do? If you've got a blanket and you fold it, you conceal and you cover the middle part. So folding is because of covering. So that's where the word fold comes from in Arabic, gawara. And it's related to gafara, which means to cover. So, and Allah says here, When the sun will be folded up, wrapped up. And when the stars shall break up. And when the mountains, despite their might, when they will be made to sail and float, the end of the earth will be a destructive and dramatic event, and not just the end of the earth, but the universe. When the sky shall split. And when the stars will be dispersed. And Allah speaks about the oceans, when the oceans shall be stoked. The water of the oceans will be heated up and rise like lava, scalding and scorching. There are many such verses throughout the Qur'an, all of which speak of the dramatic, explosive and destructive end of the universe. This is what our world will come to. This is what our gold will come to. This is what our buildings and our palaces, our mansions and palatial homes will come to. This is what all that we have built will end in. So is it worth it? Allah says. Allah here only says in one verse, Kalla idha nay, when the earth shall be crushed, pounding by pounding, crushing by crushing. When that happens, Allah Safa, the next verse is, and your Lord shall come, and the angels, row by row. Row by row. And why will Allah come? Allah will come to judge between his creation. And the angels will be in guard and in waiting. And they will be part 
of the reckoning and the judging process. Allah then says, and on that day, Jahannam shall be brought. How will Jahannam will be brought? Sorry, how will Jahannam be brought? Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith. And so does Imam Tirmidhi and others. From Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. On the day of judgment, <coughs> Jahannam shall be brought. Being dragged by 70,000, being pulled and dragged by 70,000 reins. And on each rain will be 70,000 angels. It's a sahih hadith of Muslim. Now, before I continue, because this is the, the dramatic part of the day of reckoning ends here, in just these few words. Nay, when the earth shall be crushed by a crushing pounding, and your Lord shall come and the angels row by row, and Jahannam, hell, will be brought on that day. We may find that strange. Jahannam hell being dragged by angels of a definite number, 70,000, on each reign, and there will be 70,000 reigns, and it shall be brought. Your Lord will come and the angels will come, row by row. Well, you see, first of all, when we say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah will come, this is known as one of the verses of Sifat, where Allah describes himself in a certain way. And how do we understand and interpret such verses where Allah speaks of himself in a certain manner? Allah describes himself as coming. Allah will come. Your Lord will come. So how do we understand these verses? It's very simple. We accept them just as they are. We describe Allah as he has described himself. Without in false interpretation or interpolation, without dismissing, without denying, and most importantly, without comparing or likening it to anything in his creation. Just as we believe that Allah exists, and Allah is ever living. So Allah's existence is not like our existence, but we accept his existence. Allah's living, because he himself says, Allah la ilaha illahu Allah, there is no God except him, except he, al-hayy, the living. So we accept that Allah is living, but ma'ad Allah, we seek refuge in Allah and protect his protection. We do not describe Allah being living as we would understand or compare and or, or describe and compare any other living being and the process of life in that person or being or living entity. Why? We accept however Allah describes himself and we describe him in the same words without modality, without hardness. So we accept that Allah is living, but we don't describe how, nor do we delve into it, nor do we compare it with anything in his creation. And that goes for all of the sifat, 
all of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the simple rule is, Allah says in the Qur'an, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like unto him. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ And then immediately Allah says, and he is all hearing, he is all seeing. So, just as Allah is unlike anything, Allah's hearing is unlike the hearing of anything or anyone, and Allah's seeing is unlike the seeing of anyone or anything. But since Allah has described himself in that manner, we describe him accordingly. And this is the safest and the simplest and the most classical and the most authentic and ancient and traditional position of understanding these verses of sifat, of Allah's attributes. So when Allah says that your Lord will come, we accept that Allah will come. He has described himself as coming, and we accept that he will come in a manner which befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We do not delve into the hands or the modality of his coming. Then Allah speaks about Jahannam. And again, you may seem strange, 70,000 rains on the fire of hell, being dragged by 70,000 angels on each rain. Well, the thing is, the verses of the Qur'an and the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are descriptions, contain descriptions of another world, another universe, another dimension altogether. And we are unable to comprehend or grasp the reality of the Akhirah, of the afterlife, or of Jannah and Jahannam, of the day of reckoning. So we are, we are like children. If a, you cannot explain the realities of life and the sophistries of philosophy. or of logic, or the intricacies of science, or the complexities of any branch of learning to a three-year-old child. We just cannot. And even if we attempted to, the child would be unable to grasp it, because its understanding of the world, its vision, its brain, is unable to understand, comprehend, or grasp any of these realities. So we are like children, even worse than children in contrast to the Akhirah. So we are told things in a certain way to facilitate our understanding. But it's not the reality. And the best way of describing it is we live in a three-dimensional world. When, people, when, when we are told about a fourth dimension... We just cannot understand it. We attempt to understand the fourth dimension, the four-dimensional world, through three dimensions, which is almost impossible. So the, four di- the fourth dimension still appears to us as a, th- as a three-dimensional thing. So it's impossible for us to understand. But we are told certain things in our crude language, in the hope of understanding. Allah speaks about the pleasures of Jannah. And in the Quran, what's mentioned? Fruits. So fruits are mentioned. Pure wine is mentioned. Milk is mentioned. Milk, honey, 
and wine and pure springs of water are mentioned. Now, a cynic could say, is this paradise? Wine, water, milk and honey? I can have that here. Why don't, why don't I make this paradise, this life on earth my paradise? In the Qur'an, Allah speaks about gardens of dense foliage. Go out on any Sunday afternoon and you'll find gardens of dense foliage. Fruits, water, wine, milk, honey. Branches hanging, lowered, laden with fruit. So is this Jannah? Is this paradise? No. The Prophet, of course it is, but not as you think it is. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says in that famous authentic hadith, hadith that Allah has prepared for his servants such rewards in Jannah. مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذْنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَى قَلْبِ بَشَرٍ Allah has prepared such rewards Such things that no eye has ever beheld, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and most importantly, that have never even crossed the imagination or the heart of a single soul on earth. All of it is a mere comparison. So much so that on the day of reckoning, Rasulullah will fall prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before the reckoning will begin. And Allah will inspire the Prophet with such words of praise on that occasion which he did not know in the world. Even though Muhammad means the one who is the most praised. And Ahmed means the one who praises the most. Maybe inshallah I'll devote a whole talk just to the two names of Ahmed and Muhammad. But in simple terms, Ahmed means the one who praises the best and the most. And Muhammad means the one who is praised the best and the most. So what that means is, Muhammad is Muhammad وسلم, because Allah praises him the most. And he is Ahmed because of the entire creation. He is the one who is the most praising of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But even that Ahmed sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not know what words of praise Allah will inspire him with on the day of reckoning. Because it's another world, it's another dimension. So these are simple terms for our understanding. Fruits but not the fruits of the world. Water, but not the water of the world. Wine, but not the wine of the world. Milk and honey, but not the milk and honey of the world. It's indescribable. It's a crude introduction. Because it's a complete different dimension. So when Allah says, your Lord will come, and Jahannam shall be dragged and brought. And Rasulullah says with so many angels. That's to facilitate our understanding. Otherwise, that dimension we are unable to understand. This is why I said about Qadr as well. That we believe in Qadr. 
We believe in fate, destiny. But we can never wrap our minds around it. It's impossible to understand. Because we're human beings. We think in, t- in dimensions of time and space. But imagine, time and space are features of this universe. But time and space do not necessarily have to be features of another universe. Time and space began with the beginning of this universe. And there isn't just one universe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Adameen, all praise be to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. So, there are many universes, many skies, we don't know. Multiverses. But time and space are features of this universe. But for Allah, time and space are His creation. So for us, the past is the past, today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no past, there is no present, there is no future in that sense. Time and space do not apply to Allah azza wa jal, for they are His creation. But yes, when Allah has described himself in a certain way, we describe Allah in the same way. So quite simply, this is a different dimension will suffice with this. Allah then says, on that day when your Lord shall come, i.e. to judge, and Jahannam, hellfire will be brought, then what will happen? On that day, man shall realize. Man shall be admonished. Man shall take heed. But it'll be too late. And how can there be admonition for him? Meaning, what Allah described of us before. That how we treat Allah We are happy with Allah at times, displeased with him at times. We love the world, we love wealth. And our love of wealth and attachment to the world leads us to behave in certain ways. All of this, we will realize that that life on earth wasn't the life. This is the life. That the world was going to come to an end. Our wealth meant nothing. Our dunya meant nothing. If only I had done good. If only I had changed my life. We will regret then. But regretting on that occasion will be futile, it will be useless. This verse of the Qur'an says that when people will be punished, وَهُمْ يَسْتَرِخُونَ فِيهَا رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي كُنَّا نَعْمَلْ أَوَلَمْ نُعَمِّرْكُمْ مَا يَتَذَكَّرُ فِيهِ مَنْ تَذَكَّرُ وَجَاءَكُمُ النَّذِيرُ People shall be screaming therein in that punishment and in the fire of Jahannam. And they will be screaming to Allah, Rabbana akhrijna, O our Lord, extract us, take us out of this. And I return us to the world. Na'mal salihan kunna na'mal. We will do good other than the deeds that we used to do. And the reply will be, Awalam nu'ammirkum ma yatadhakkaru fihim antadhakkar. Did we not give you enough umr, enough age? 
that anyone who was going to learn his lesson and take heed, and anyone who was going to be admonished, would have already taken heed and be admonished, and would have already learned their lesson, and would have already realized in that lifespan. And didn't the warner come to you? And the warner could mean the Messenger wasallam, Or, according to a number of interpretations, the warner is... Old age, white hair. Allah has given us enough time to realize. Allah has given us enough opportunities to realize. Let us not be distracted by what's around us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Munafiqun, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tulhikum amwalukum wa la awladukum an dhikrillah. Umin yaf'al thalika fawlaika humul khasirun. وَأَنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ أَحْدَكُمُ الْمَوْتِ فَيَقُولَ رَبِّ لَوْ لَا أَخْرَتَنِي إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ قَرِيبٍ فَأَصَّدَّقَ وَأَكُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ وَلَنْ يُؤَخِّرَ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِذَا جَاءَ أَجَلُهَا وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah says, O believers, do not let your wealth, do not let your riches, لا تلهكم أموالكم, do not let your riches, ولا أولادكم أن your children distract you. And make you neglectful from and of the remembrance of Allah, the dhikr of Allah. And whoever does this, i.e. allows himself to be distracted from the remembrance of Allah by his wealth or his children. فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ And these are the losers. Then Allah says, and spend of what we have bestowed upon you and provided you with, before death comes to one of you. Then at the time of death, فَيَقُولْ رَبِّ Oh my Lord, لَوْلَا أَخَّرْتَنِي If only you would give me some respite, some delay, some more time. إِلَىٰ أَجْلٍ قَرِيبٍ Only for a short while. Why? فَأَصَّدَّقْ so that I may give in charity and I may become one of the pious. So is that going to be possible? Allah ends the verses in the surah by saying, When the fixed term of a soul arrives, Allah will never delay it. And Allah knows what you do. So the time to realize is not the day of reckoning. And it's not at the time of death. Because it'll be too late. And everyone realizes them. Because at the time of death, the curtains, the blinds, the drapes and the shades that separate us from the next world will gradually dissolve and be removed. And that's when people begin to see reality. This is why people speak of near-death experiences. People speak about seeing things. People lie there fixed, staring into something. Even Pharaoh, who said, I am your greatest Lord. He didn't just say, I am one of the gods amongst the gods. He said to his people, I am your greatest and loftiest Lord. Even Pharaoh, who was in pursuit of Musa and his people, 
and who died then. Even he said, I now believe in that God that Banu Israel believed in. So it was said to him, Now do you believe at the time of death? So everyone realizes when it's too late. Everyone will realize in the hereafter. Everyone will realize at the time of death. Even Pharaoh realized at the time of death. Age. Allah has given us time. Allah has given us age. And it's for us to realize before it's too late. And on the day of judgment, we will have many regrets. In fact, in a hadith related by Imam Ahmed al-Hamdul rahmatullahi alayhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, that if man was to fall down prostrate in prostration, was to fall flat on his face in prostration, from the moment of birth, till the mo- and remain in prostration, till the moment he dies of old age, even then on the day of judgment, he will wish that he could go back to the world and spend a longer life in the prostration of Allah. So that's for a person who spent his entire life from the moment of birth till the moment of death in old age, fallen and prostrate, flat on their face in prostration. So what will be the state and the regret of those who disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who led a life of of heedlessness and of neglect, of disobedience. On that day, in other verses of the Quran, would that I had not taken that person as a best friend. We will regret even our friendships. This is why company is so important. Choose the right company. The company of those with whom you will spend life on earth and inshallah life in the hereafter. إِخْوَانٌ عَلَىٰ سُرُرٍ مُتَقَابِلِينَ As Allah says, brothers reclining on couches facing each other. Let us realize before it's too late and choose the right environment, choose the right company, choose the right surroundings. All of this has an effect. I said earlier on about individuals constituting societies, communities, and nations. And if the individual is corrupt, well, quite simply, if we look backwards from the end of the verse, if the soul is corrupt, the individual will be corrupt. If the individual is corrupt, the society and community and nation will be corrupt. But they all have an effect on each other. We're always blaming others. We never question ourselves. Others are always wrong. Others are corrosive and corrupting. Others have a negative and adverse influence. What about us? The fact is, we influence others, others influence us. We all influence each other. We reinforce each other's behaviour. And that's why it's important to surround yourself with good company, a good atmosphere, a good environment... Good people. 
And we learn from the hadith, in an authentic hadith, Rasulullah, rated by Imam Bukhari and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, that al-fakhr wal-khuyala, boastfulness and haughtiness, are to be found in the herders of camels. And wal-sakinatu wal-waqar, and tranquility and composure, and docility are to be found in the shepherds of flocks of sheep and goats. What does that mean? It's very simple. Camels are very difficult. Tall, mighty, strong, and therefore strong-headed, stubborn, obstinate, obdurate, very difficult to control, unpredictable, rash, bold. <coughs> all of these qualities, all of these attributes, find their way into those camel herders who spend a lot of time with camels. So you will see camel herders being proud and arrogant and strong-headed and stubborn and obstinate and unpredictable and just as rash as the camels. And sheep and lambs, we call them lambs, lambs and sheep and goats, are docile, <coughs> serene, tranquil. Sometimes it takes ten men to control one camel when it, goes, when it loses it. And it's unpredictable, it can happen any time. It takes ten men to control a camel. And... What happens, people behave like camels as well, how I'll explain to you. The Prophet ﷺ, once the Sahabi radiallahu an, he said to the Prophet ﷺ, give me something. He was a Bedouin. So the Prophet ﷺ gave him some wealth. So then he complained in front of everybody. You haven't given me anything. You haven't honored me. You haven't given me anything. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum became extremely angry. And some of them were about to lunge at him. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, leave him, leave him. Then he took him into private and gave him more wealth and more until he was satisfied. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, have I now given you enough? He said, yes. Have I now honored you as you wanted? He said, yes. Just listen, earlier on you spoke to me in a certain way in front of my companions. They now feel something in their heart towards you. So why don't you go out and you now say something which will remove that rancor from their hearts. So he said, yes, I will. So he took him out. And then the Prophet wasallam asked him, have I given you? He said, yes. Have I honored you? He said, yes. And then it was clarified. Then the Prophet ﷺ turned to the Sahaba عنهم, and he said to them, My example with my people, my example and your example is that of a camel. A camel becomes rebellious. It loses control. So people try to calm it. But the more they try to control it, the more it bolts. Then the owner comes. And then the owner strokes it calmly, smoothly, 
lovingly, shows it love and affection, and then speaks to it and whispers to it, and it calms it down. So the moral I was taking from that story is, that's camel's nature. If you tell a camel, calm down, it bolts even more. If you tell a camel, settle down angrily, the camel jumps even more. So you forget one person, ten people can't control a camel. And that's how some people are. You tell them to do good and they become worse. You tell them to stop and they increase the pace. Just as in the Quran it says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ الْعِزَّةُ بِالْإِثْمِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ When it is said to him, fear Allah, then arrogance and pride in sin seizes him. So what's the ultimate abode of such a person? فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ So Jahannam is sufficient for him. When a person is advised, one should humble oneself and listen to that advice. Not become even more rebellious. It's like telling someone, okay, calm down. So the person gets even angrier. Okay, keep quiet. So before, if they were were going to say something for 10 seconds, now they say it for 10 minutes. So people are like camels. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ said, pride, haughtiness, boastfulness are in camel herders. And docility and calmness and tranquility. All of this is to be found in shepherds. Now you know see shepherds, Allah Akbar. This is why in a hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, illa There is no prophet of Allah except that he has herded flocks of sheep. Every prophet has been a shepherd because Allah trained them to be shepherds of his people, of their people. And shepherds, they have a beautiful life. They go out into nature, They see the horizon, the sky, the land, the crisp, beautiful air. They breathe it in every every day from morning till evening. And with great tranquility and serenity around them in nature, they have a a whole flock of sheep or goats with one whistle, one word, one click of the tongue, the whole flock moves in the direction they want it to. As I said earlier, because lambs, sheep and goats are docile, serene and calm. It takes ten men to control one camel and it takes one poodle to control a whole flock of sheep. And that tranquility, that serenity, that calmness and that composure transfer themselves into the character and the being of the shepherd. So if sheep and goats can have such an effect, if camels can have such an effect, then imagine how much of an effect live, walking, talking, intelligent, exchanging, interacting, communicating humans have on each other. Our tastes, our ideas, our words. That's why we should choose our company carefully, lest we do not become of one of those who on the Day of Judgment says... Alas, woe be unto me, would that I had not, if only I had not taken such a person to be my friend. For he misled me and led me astray from the dhikr of the remembrance of Allah after the remembrance had come to me. 
That's why I mentioned these verses, because all of them are to do with the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the admonition and the remembrance of Allah azza wa jal. And that's here. يَوْمَ إِذِنْ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْإِنسَانِ On that day, man will realize, but he won't realize. Man will realize, but it'll be too late. وَأَنَّا لَهُ الذِّكْرَى And where is the admonition for him? Where is the realization for him? It's too late. As Allah says in another verse of the Qur'an, that when the Atamatul Kubra comes, the great disaster comes. يَوْمَ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْإِنسَانُ مَا سَعَى وَبُرِّزَتِ الْجَحِيمُ لِمَنْ يَرَى فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا فَإِنَّ الْجَحِيمَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَ النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى When the great disaster shall come, on that day, man shall remember what he had strived for. And the verses are very similar to this. وَبُرِّزَتِ الْجَحِيمُ لِمَنْ يَرَى And Jahannam, Jahim, the hellfire, shall be revealed for those who see. So as for one who transgressed and gave preference to the worldly life, his abode shall be the hellfire. And as for one who feared the standing before his Lord and prevented his soul from its selfish desire, فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى Then Jannah will be his abode. And this is the same message to be found throughout the Qur'an. What it is? Belief in the Akhirah, belief in life after death, a realization that we have to be accountable before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ultimately lead us to behave. Otherwise, we will remain the way we are. And this leads us to the next part. So the sinful one will say, he will realize, but how will realization benefit him? He will say, if our oh, if only I had sent forth, meaning good deeds, for this life of mine. Because what's the meaning of this life, i.e. the life of the akhirah, the life of the hereafter? Allah then says on that day, no one will punish like the punishing of Allah. No one will tie and bind like the binding and the tying of Allah. And in contrast to that sinful, woeful soul, the good soul, the pure soul, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the angels will say to it, Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna. O soul, which is mutma'inna, which is content, which is tranquil. The real meaning of itminan or mutma'inna is to be settled, at rest. Return to your Lord. Please, Allah, you are pleased with Allah and content. Mardiyah, and Allah is pleased and content with you. Enter amongst my servants, Allah's chosen servants. Enter my God. And allow me to explain some of this. Allah has mentioned three types of soul in the Quran. An-nafsul ammara. An-nafsul lawamah. And al-nafsul mutma'inna. These are all mentioned in the Quran. Al-nafsul lawama, well, al-nafsul ammara. This is mentioned in Surah Yusuf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, quoting either Yusuf alayhi salam or the wife of the minister of Egypt, 
They are both opinions amongst commentators. Inshallah, when I do the tafsir of Surah Yusuf, I will speak on that in more detail. But for now, suffice to say that this Allah is quoting. And the words are, وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءٍ And I do not excuse or exonerate my soul from blame. إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءٍ Indeed, the soul is excessively instructing to evil. So one type of soul is the soul that excessively instructs to evil. Then the other soul is النفس اللوامة لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة I do swear, nay, I do swear, by the day of reckoning, resurrection. And I do, nay, I do swear, by the rebuking soul. So the next soul is mentioned is rebuking soul. And this is the third one, a tranquil soul. So what do all of these refer to? They aren't necessarily stages. They are descriptions of the soul in its different states. And yes, a person does progress in a way. It is a stage two because a person does progress from a soul which is forever and increasingly and excessively instructing and inciting one to evil to a soul which is a bit more conscious and which rebukes the individual to a soul which is content, tranquil and at peace with itself and pleasing to Allah and pleased by Allah. And the soul which is excessively instructing to evil, that's ammaratun bisu, an-nafsul ammara. We are, as human beings, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings in between animals and angels. Allah created animals. Animals have desires, the need to procreate, to eat, to drink, and to live and survive. But the animals have intelligence, functional intelligence, but not higher intelligence or enlightenment. Angels, on the other hand, have no needs, no desires of food, drink, or, or, or otherwise. And angels are full of enlightenment and higher intelligence. And in between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created man, and in man Allah has placed both types of characteristics. Man has the character of bestial, best, bestial beings, of beasts. Therefore man has the need and the desire to eat, to drink, to rest, to survive, to procreate. And there's a limit, there's a certain limit before which it's a need and a necessity, and beyond which it's a luxury and beyond which is indulgence and excess. And at the same time, man has also been given endowed with intelligence, high intelligence, and the potential. This is a thing. Animals do not have potential. Angels do not have potential, in the sense that they are as they are, as Allah has created them. Animals are as they are, Allah has created them. Allah has given man potential. Potential to be as low as the lowest of the animals, or as great, so as to be beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about whom Allah even boasts of to his angels. 
So man can rise or fall however he wants to. And the way of rising and falling is simple. If man behaves like a beast and sinks to that low, as low as that, then Allah says in the Quran, These people are like animals. Nay, they are even worse. Man can become worse than the animals. Or man can rise. And because we are animals, we, have, we share certain characteristics with animals, our nafs is bestial, an animal in nature. So our nafs will do its job. Our nafs will be ammarah bisu, meaning it will excessively invite us and instruct us and take us to evil. That's what the nafs does. This is our test. This is our struggle. We are not angels. We can be angelic. We are not animals and beasts, but we can be beastly. We have the potential for both. So the soul will do its job. It will incite us to evil. We have to fight against it. We have to struggle with it. We have to overcome it. We have to suppress it. We have to deny it. And that's why Allah says, whoever stands, whoever fears a standing before his Lord and prevents the soul from its desire, then Jannah is its abode. However, once a person does work on the soul, on the spirits, and behave, and controls and curbs the desires of the spirit, and trains it, and does not become the slave of the soul, rather enslaves the soul himself or herself, then the soul becomes a bit more submissive, and a bit more conscious, and the soul actually helps. So, in which way? So that when a person does wrong, the conscience speaks and the conscience nags. And the soul itself, at times when it fails, it leads a person to evil. But other times, the soul feels shame. And it tells a person, why did you do this? You shouldn't have done this. This is wrong. That inner voice, that nagging conscience. And that is a nafsul lawama, the rebuking soul by which Allah swears. But the best is a nafsul mutma'inna. Nafsul mutma'inna is the soul with which Allah has pleased, and that soul is pleased and content with Allah. Of course, no one can be pure or perfect. No one can be. This is why we are not held to account for stray thoughts. But if we allow them to dwell, if we entertain them, if we accept them, if we do not resist them, if we do not reject them, then we are responsible. But when the soul is pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with it, that's as far as the akhirah is concerned. But for the believer, the believer has the potential for having a tranquil soul even in the world. He can. And I will speak about this at length on another occasion, the tranquil soul. But quite simply, how does a person... Because what does itmitnan mean? Itmitnan means to be at rest. To be tranquil, to be settled, to be calm. How can a person calm one's soul, settle it, give it rest, give it peace, be at peace, be content, be tranquil? There are many ways. One of them is to stop hankering after the dunya, to be restless about the dunya. 
We, as far as the dunya is concerned, we are never satisfied. Wealth comes and goes. And as the Prophet said, if man had one value of gold, he would desire a second. If he had a second value, he would desire a third. And nothing can fill the cavity in man except the dust of the earth. It will never be enough for us. We will always be restless and desiring more, because that's greed. And one way of being content is to be content and tranquil. One way of being tranquil is to be content with the decree of Allah. To accept what Allah has chosen for us. To accept our fate. To accept our destiny. To accept. Because pain is when we resist. We have lost a thousand pounds. We've lost it. What can we do? Learn a lesson and move on. But to forever ruminate and think about that loss, to burn from within, to resist what already is, we can't change it. Why fight the impossible? Is to calmly accept. A believer, when they rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, attach themselves to Allah. Be content with Allah's decree. That's why in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, a man will never reach the reality of faith until he realizes and comes to know. Comes to know. There's a difference between information and true knowledge. So a man will not reach the reality of iman and faith until he comes to know and until he realizes that that which was going to meet him was never going to miss him and that which was going to miss him was never going to meet him. That which was going to miss him was never going to meet him. That which, that which was going to befall him was never going to miss him. That's why they say a miss is a, as good as a mile. A miss is as good as a mile. Sometimes we regret, I was that close. We were that close. But it disappeared, it went, the opportunity was gone. I was that close. And we regret the fact that we were that close. Well, whether it was an inch or a millimeter, or whether it was a mile, the thing is it missed us. <laughs> Either way, a miss is as good as a mile. Why fight? Why resist? Why struggle against it? Why resist what already is? A person can be content in this world in that manner and tranquil, but only when the person does good. But in the Akhirah, this message will be given to a person at the time of death and at the time of the hereafter. The angels would actually say this to a person at the time of death and in the Akhirah. That's why in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others from Sayyidina Ubadud ibn Samit radiyallahu Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ أَحَبَّ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ وَمَنْ كَرِهَ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ كَرِهَ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ Whoever loves the meeting of Allah, Allah loves to meet him. And whoever dislikes the thought of meeting with Allah, Allah dislikes his meeting with him. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Messenger of Allah, we all dislike death. And who likes death? Prophet ﷺ said, it's not that, 
It's that when death comes to a believer, Allah's Jannah, although this wording isn't in Bukhari and Muslim, but it is in other narrations, Allah's forgiveness and His mercy and His Jannah are shown to him. And therefore he is even more desirous of meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when death comes to a sinful and grateful person, then Allah's punishment and the dire consequences of the akhirah are shown to him, and therefore he dislikes the meeting of Allah. <coughs> There's so much more to be said, but I'll end with this. On the day of reckoning, Allah will, it will be said to the person in the world, O soul, tranquil, return to your Lord. Because that is the ultimate abode of a person, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in which way the soul is pleased with Allah, Allah is pleased with the soul, then Allah will also say to the soul on the day of judgment, and so will the angels, فَدْخُلِي fi ibadi, Enter amongst my servants, I Allah's chosen servants. The servants that the Prophet Yusuf salam prayed for, the Prophet Suleiman salam prayed for, Suleiman said, And O oh my Lord, enter me through your mercy amongst your pious servants. And the Prophet Yusuf said, Oh my Lord, take me in death as a Muslim and attach me to the pious. So these are the chosen servants of Allah. The ibad of Allah, Allah will say to the soul, enter amongst my servants, wadhuli jannati, and enter into my God. We end with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. Inshallah, as I said, I had to rush the final few verses, but on a subsequent occasion, inshallah, I will hopefully speak in detail and at length specifically about the tranquil and content soul. I pray that Allah enables us to understand the meaning and the message of the words of the Holy Quran and to act upon them. Wassallallahu wasallam ala abdihi wa rasuli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruku wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.